The views and opinions expressed in Cold and Missing are exclusively those of the hosts. All parties mentioned are considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Cold and Missing also contains adult themes and languages and is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, everyone. This is Cold and Missing. I'm your host, Allie McLaughlin-Sulkowski. I'm your co-host, Eli Sulkowski. And here at Cold and Missing, we focus on... Cold cases? And unresolved missing person cases. And this week, we are focusing on a... Cold case. A cold case. Yeah. All right. Should we get started? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Today, we are talking about the cold case of Sherry Swally. And just as a content warning at the top, this case does involve violence and sexual assault of a child. This case takes place in December of 1973 in Atlanta, Georgia. But first, a little bit about Sherry. Sherry is eight years old in 1973. She was born June 7, 1965, and she would be 57 years old today. Sherry lived in Columbus, Ohio with her parents and her younger brother, Michael. She was a third grader at Westgate Elementary School. Her father, John Clark Swally, said, quote, She was a bright, friendly child who did well in school, end quote. Now we will get into the timeline of events. On Saturday, December 22, 1973, John had decided to take Sherry and Michael to Walt Disney World as a Christmas treat. John's plan was to drive to Atlanta on Saturday and spend the night and all day Sunday with a former co-worker, Clyde Williamson at his apartment in Northwest Atlanta. Clyde lived at the Pace Setter apartment complex, which was located on Skipper Drive. John wanted to stay on Sunday because he was worried that since a lot of gas stations were closed on Sunday and there was a national gas shortage happening at this time, that it would be difficult to refuel the car on country Georgia roads. And he didn't want to run the risk of running out of gas with his kids in the car. So John, Sherry, and Michael arrive at Clyde's apartment Saturday evening. Sunday, December 23, 1973. Sherry spends the day playing with kids of the apartment complex. Late Sunday afternoon, witnesses say they saw Sherry with a young teen boy wearing an army jacket. At around 6.30 p.m., John sees Sherry playing with other children. That evening, Sherry was at the apartment of Caroline Ellis. Lots of kids had gathered there to play while Carolyn made dinner. Between 7.30 and 8 o'clock, Carolyn sent Sherry to get her father, Clyde, and Michael and invite them all for dinner. According to Officer E.G. Krebs, Sherry was not seen alive after leaving Carolyn's apartment. At 9.32 p.m., police receive a call from a young-sounding male who refused to ID himself. He tells police that there is a dead girl at the apartment complex. Police and an ambulance is dispatched, but nothing is found, so they leave. At 10.30 p.m., John calls the police to report his daughter missing, but police won't return to the apartment complex that night. The next morning, December 24th, 1973, this is Christmas Eve, police return to the apartment complex as Sherry had not come home that evening. At around 10.30 a.m., Sherry's body is discovered on a wooded hillside, about 40 yards behind one of the complex buildings. Her body was in full view of 150 apartments. Sherry was only wearing a blue sweater. The rest of her clothes were found about 20 yards away. She had been sexually assaulted and was stabbed about 25 times with what investigators described as a thin-bladed knife. 
police immediately begin going door to door to interview neighbors. The next day, Tuesday, December 25th, Christmas Day, police continue their door-to-door canvassing. They'll interview around 50 people between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. An Atlanta radio station reports that police are holding a man as a material witness, but he was not considered a suspect at this time. Police refuse to confirm if this is true. Detective S.T. Hinshaw says, quote, We are questioning people with any knowledge, but we don't have any suspects, end quote. Residents of the apartment complex are worried as this is the fifth murder in nine months. On March 26, 1973, two adult sisters were found handcuffed and shot to death inside their apartment. On August 7th, a young woman visiting a friend was shot in the face when she answered the apartment door. And two weeks before Sherry's murder, an off-duty police officer was shot when he interrupted a burglary. Police say that Sherry's murder is not connected with any of these deaths. On Wednesday, December 26, 1973, police say that Sherry's body had been moved. They say that she was killed in the woods, but then later moved about 70 feet to a more visible spot. Police theorize that whoever called on December 23rd at 9.32 p.m. to report a murdered girl had watched police search for her in vain. After police left, they think that the killer then moved Sherry's body to the spot where she was found the next morning. On Saturday, December 29th, Sherry's funeral is held at 11 a.m. at the Jerry Spears Funeral Home in Columbus, Ohio. And then three weeks after Sherry's death, on January 14, 1974, a fifth-grade girl, Patricia Ann Walker, is found murdered in a wooded area behind her school. This is about three miles from where Sherry was murdered. The manner of death is different. Patricia died from compression injuries to the neck. But circumstances are similar. Patricia was sent by her mother to a neighbor's apartment to grab a couple cans of beer. When she failed to return, her mother called the cops and they found two full beer cans on the sidewalk where she would have had to pass. An investigator who refused to be named said that the murders were similar to each other and that the force used on the victims indicated, quote, a deranged mind or a pathological condition induced by drugs, end quote. Eventually, a 15-year-old boy will be charged in Patricia's death. He'll never be named an official suspect in Sherry's case. No one has ever been named an official suspect in Sherry's case. And that is actually all the information I could find on Sherry's death. There hasn't been any updates since 1974 that I could find. So if you know anything about the murder of Sherry Swally in December of 1973, please call the Atlanta Police Department at 404-614-6544. Or to remain anonymous, you can call Crime Stoppers at 404-577-8477. And the sources for today's podcast come from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, the Greenville News, the Times Recorder, the Newark Advocate, the Tampa Tribune, Dayton Daily News, the Daily Advocate, Tyler Morning Telegraph, the Marion Star, the Galleon Inquirer, and the Atlanta Constitution. So that is the case of Sherry Swally. Yeah, so what do you think happened? Because it seems like there's an overwhelming amount of evidence, so I don't really understand what went wrong there. Yeah, well, I'm interested in the thread about the teenage boy. Um, just because she was, witnesses put her with a young teen earlier in the day, and then the 911 call 
was by a younger sounding male. So I put that as a teen as well. And something about watching the police search for the body and then going back to move it to a more visible space. Like there's just something that seems like very juvenile overall about the case. But on the same token, I feel like if things were done correctly in 1973, if, you know, the chain of command is correct and they were able to save evidence that this would be a case that could be solved with today's technology or at least move it forward if not solved. So you think that just no one has requested that or they're just they just don't can't do it or won't do it? Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't seem like this case was ever worked again um, outside of the few weeks surrounding it. I couldn't find any updates. And it seems since Sherry was from Columbus, Ohio, and not from Atlanta, there was no pressure on the Atlanta police to solve it. There was no family there requesting updates. There was nobody there to put pressure on them. And they didn't vote in Atlanta elections. So it just seems like they didn't care to solve it. Um, or there was no pressure to solve it. So it got put to the back burner, put to the back burner. And now here we are in 2023 and it's still not solved. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with the Atlanta child murders. And this case would have happened. Um, they, they put the Atlanta child murders starting at 79. So this would be a few years beforehand. Um, and Sherry doesn't really fit the profile of those at all. but. I just wanted to put that out there that this is a few years before that, um, just because it might come to the mind of some of our listeners. Yeah, I mean, even when I Googled her name, there were so many, like, missing and murdered uh, children from all walks of life that popped up during that time period. Like, just typing in her first name, there were so many other pictures and names from, like, 1970 to 1980 of just a lot of old or missing cases mm-hmm. of, of specifically children, I mean. Yeah, you know, it was before Amber Alerts were created and really before technology uh, that assisted in police departments of being able to, like, talk to each other and communicate with each other and be quick to share information about a missing child. Yeah. And when they could, they didn't want to because yeah. politically, like, it mattered so much at the time because... Because there wasn't the internet, so, like, local support of what you were trying to do, I think, mattered. Mm-hmm. Like, significantly more. Mm-hmm. Because word of mouth, like, was the way. You mm-hmm. Know? And I think most cities, like, don't necessarily want a missing and murdered case connected to their, like, physical location. Really, so if it's a case that can be forgotten about or swept under the rug, it seems like that's something that happens mm-hmm. with like political motive. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, why publicize on you know the year anniversary, the two year anniversary of an unsolved child murder if nobody's asking about it? Yeah, I think where I'm getting my Uh, thought process from is from you know watching Mindhunter which is a dramatization of or at least season two um, 
Atlanta's missing and murdered, and there was so much political stuff that I learned mm-hmm. that I that I didn't understand. You know, when I first took interest in true crime, specifically marginalized people mm-hmm. in true crime, um, I had zero awareness around political um, influences. Um, and it's sad that that's even a factor when a child has been, um, you know, brutally discarded in mm-hmm. this way. That's the thing is like, uh, it seemed like so many of the clues were there, like how I th- I'm just echoing you, I guess. It's like, it seems like there were a lot of arrows and evidence and the fact that her body was there. And a child walking around then, even with like a, a younger looking adult, like a teen like a young girl walking around with an older boy wouldn't have looked as odd back then as it would now. Mm-hmm. Like I would immediately notice that, especially if anything looked off. Mm-hmm. And I know you would too. Mm-hmm. But back then, I mean, kids would get into cars because they were just learning in real time that you really should not do that, like stranger danger. I think what I'm, I guess I'm, I'm just affirming myself in yes, there is a lot of evidence, but even if people saw them look, saw them walking around and saw what he looked like, the descriptor, like the, um, your brain w- wouldn't pull to fill in the details because it, it wouldn't have looked odd, mm-hmm. even though it's maybe evidence walking right in front of you. Right. So I guess I'm, I'm speaking to the time because right now I'm saying, how is this not solved? But yeah. I want to make space for the fact that maybe, of course, it wasn't at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom grew up. Um, she was around this age in 1973. And her stories from childhood are very similar to this of just like getting out of the door, running around and coming back when lights turned on. So to me, there's nothing like peculiar about her running around this apartment complex and like playing with the kids at the apartment complex like there's nothing strange in that or like and all it takes is a moment for like someone to walk by and just be like hey come with me and it's if there's enough people around enough moving parts it doesn't look or present as odd right and you know she was sent from Carolyn's apartment to go invite her dad and, you know, everybody over for dinner. You know, whatever happened, I think happened right there. Is Before she got to the apartment, she ran into whoever it was. And honestly, I, I would say when the 911 call comes in. So between Caroline says she sent Sherry between 730 and 8 o'clock. And the 911 call comes in at 932. So that leaves an hour and a half to two hours, depending on the exact time she left that apartment. You know what I mean? So I really think it's those two hours is like where it happens. I don't think it went overnight. I don't think, um, you know what I mean? Like, I think the time of death was shortly after she left the apartment. Yeah. So, yeah, I, but again, I don't know. Um, I really think this is a case that could be solved or again at least move forward i think there could be a dna profile developed and put into codis and you know if nothing comes back nothing comes back but it seems like it should be there oh and i'm sure someone knows something whether they're alive or dead i don't know but and i don't necessarily mean the people involved specifically with um her 
um, her murder, it was Sherry's murder, but uh, there wasn't one other set of eyes on it who maybe, like, helped cover it up, helped the boy out if it was him, you know, like. Yeah. Um, and, you know, her when her body was found the next morning, it was later in the morning. It was around 1030. And granted, it was Christmas Eve, so people are usually, you know, not on their usual schedules that day any Anyway, yeah. you know, things were usually a little disrupted. But according to all the newspaper reports, she was within view of 150 apartments. So it's like somebody saw something. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just statistically, how is it? Right. It's, yeah, it's like too probable that someone saw something. Somebody had to have seen Unless something. Unless everyone was gone, you know. I don't know. And... I mean, and we know that they weren't because police were able to talk to around 50 people between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So people were there. Yeah. And and again, that time period, people are like, not my business, not my problem. Right. Turn like if you see even like people, you don't necessarily see that it's a child, but you see like a tussle. Even mm-hmm. like if it's like not your family, you are taught to like, that's not your business. Yeah. So... Yeah, even if you did notice something, it's like, maybe. Mm-hmm. So again, if you know anything about what happened to Sherry Swally in December of 1973, please call the Atlanta PD at 404-614-6544. Or to remain anonymous, you can call Crime Stoppers at 404-577-8477. Because again, this is solvable. It's... It feels like it's right there. And if we just went back and looked at it, applied today's technology. Yeah. If not solved, it could be punted forward. I think that's a sports term. Punting? It's in mm-hmm. football, yeah. But does that, does it move it forward? Yeah, it's like when the kicker kicks the ball and it oh, goes okay. through the goalpost and they're like, goal! You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that works here. Yeah. Take it. Okay. We will be posting um, some photos of Sherry. Uh, A listener of ours that is very dedicated was so great this week and helped us in some of our research. So I just want to give a shout out to Hannah, who is in Columbus, Ohio, who was able to look some things up for us, which was so helpful. So thank you so much if you're listening. Truly, there is like a community effort behind this podcast that... um, we just don't talk about because, you know, we're talking about the cases themselves, but it is, uh, it is a community effort, Cold and Missing, for sure. We have a lot of friends who help us out on, um, on the research end. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while you're getting ready to listen to your next podcast here in the app, if you just want to go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss an episode, we come out with new episodes every single week. And if you review, it helps other people find us, which helps other people hear about these cases. Because here at Cold and Missing, we're, we are only covering cold cases and unresolved missing person cases. So we want as many people to hear these stories and to get these names back out there as much as possible. So thank you if you've already done that. I really appreciate you. Um, but that's all I have. So have a good week and stay safe, y'all. Stay safe, y'all.